Amen. Thank you, Hannah. Appreciate that. Take your Bibles, turn to Job. Job chapter 1. For those of you who are new to the scriptures, that's the book of Job. Amen. It's where you go to find a job. But uh, Job chapter 1. Always enjoy preaching from the book of Job because I enjoy hearing about other people whose misery was much worse than mine, amen, and uh, who are an example to us. And uh, if you think you've had a bad day, just read the book of, just read the first chapter of the book of Job, amen. Your day will get better in a, in a, in a big hurry. And... Uh, we're going to read here a little more than I typically do, and <clears throat> we're going to begin reading verse number 1, read down through verse number 12, and uh, so you can follow along with me this morning. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. This was a good man. This was a godly man. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels. That's a lot of camels. Amen. What do you do? What do you do with? I know they ride camels. Amen. But what do you milk? That's what you're doing with. There you go. All right. What I learned. What I learned from, from the audience, amen. And uh, I'm not going to get a camel, though, regardless. And I definitely don't need 3,000. But um, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Interesting thing here, Job, his children are grown out of the house. He's still praying for them. And I'm not so sure. I mean, Job was a godly man. I'm not so sure, based on what Job says here about his kids, I'm not so sure they were living a godly life. And Job was concerned for his kids. He was praying for them on a daily basis, offering up, in his day, burnt offerings, uh, one for each of them. And it says, thus did Job continually. Now look at verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? So now the scene changes. We move to heaven, and Satan is coming to the Lord. And I'll address that in a minute. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. Let me just tell you this. Satan is not like God. He is not 
omniscient. He is not in all places at all times. Satan is limited. He can only be in one place at a time. God says, where have you been? He says, I've been walking to and fro, up and down in the earth. And by the way, that's where he is, as we'll see in a minute to this day. Uh, But uh, that's where he had been. And again, we'll come back and talk about that in just a minute. And look, verse number eight, the Lord said unto Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. That's quite a testimony. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a great testimony. It's a really great testimony when God says it about you. Amen. I mean, that's, uh, that's an amazing thing. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, verse 9, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast, thou, hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath, notice this now, I want you to pay attention to this in particular, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Years ago, in uh, Cedar River Baptist Camp, which is now Kite River Baptist Camp, and has changed locations, but when Cedar River Baptist Camp was up in uh, Letts, just a little bit uh, west of Letts, Iowa, uh, they had a week called Take the Challenge Week. Deshaun, did you ever go to that? No. Take the Challenge Week. And uh, it was intended kind of as a boot camp for young men. I know that uh, Pastor Brad went and took the challenge and actually came home, survived it, amen. But uh, for one week, and they'd go, they'd camp out, and they'd do all kinds of drills, and they'd have obstacle courses through the woods. Did you ever go to take the challenge? Brother Wally was, did you ever? What your boys did. And uh, so if you're wondering why Brother by why Tim turned out like he did, amen, it's because he shipped him off to take the challenge camp, amen, but, um, but which is a good thing, amen, and, uh, but it was a tough thing to go through, and, uh, and they would toughen them up, but with that in mind, there's another kind of challenge that I want to bring to your attention this morning, and as was the case in the story we just read about Job, is, is a challenge that I believe is presented in one form or another, at one time or another, to every single believer. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. This morning, we thank you for your gift of salvation. We thank you that we can know you as Savior. And Lord, I pray now that you would meet with us. I pray that you would challenge us. Lord, I pray that when the challenges of life come to us, that we will stay faithful like Job stayed faithful. And Lord, I pray now that you would work in our hearts. If there's anybody here today that's not saved, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. For we ask in your name, amen. There are four steps of Satan's demise. Four steps 
of Satan's demise. Satan is a created being. He's an angel. He was in heaven. He was one of the top-ranking angels in heaven until he sinned, until his heart was lifted up in pride. Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14 teaches he was lifted up in pride. He wanted to be like God. And God said, you've crossed the line. Amen. Not going to happen. And so from that point, the very first step in Satan's demise is the Bible teaches us he was cast out of heaven to the air where he had access to the atmosphere of the earth and to the earth itself. But he was cast out of heaven to the air. We find that in Ezekiel 28, 16, where the scripture says, and some of these I'll be turned to, some I'll just read, but Ezekiel 28, 16 says this, by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. He's speaking of Lucifer here, speaking of Satan. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. That's heaven. He says, you're getting cast out. And I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Then if we look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 2, in the New Testament, it says this about unbelievers. It says, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh, now currently worketh in the children of disobedience. So there we know that he was cast from heaven. We know he was cast out. And we find in Ephesians that he is now considered the prince of the power of the air. And it says that spirit, that is a spirit that works in the children of of disobedience. Folks, can I tell you what we see around us in the world today, in all the rebellion, in all the filth, in all the immorality, and all of the garbage that is going on? You see the spirit of Satan at work. That's what's at work out there. That's where the devil is today. And by the way, young people, that's why you need to be careful who you run with because you don't want to be running with those who are following after the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. And by the way, how do you know somebody who's a one of these uh, folks who is being influenced by the spirit of the children of disobedience, by the spirit of Satan? Just look at their works. What are they doing with their lives? Listen to the way they talk. You know what? A curse word should never come out of a Christian's mouth. And I tell you what, cursing today has become as commonplace as as saying hello. I don't know what it is. There's some people today, I don't know, I don't know if they, they didn't get a good education, if they don't know anything but four-letter words. I don't know if they're if they're literally that dumbed down and stupid. Literally. By the way, that's what it is. It does, you don't have, look, you know what? You know how many days you have to spend in school and you know how much time you have to spend getting an education to learn how to cuss? You don't ever have to go to school. 
That's not a sign. Somebody's ability to curse and to use the F word and to just go off with filthy language is not a sign of intelligence. It is a sign, one, of stupidity, secondly, of evil. That's one way to tell that crowd you're running with. Are they the right crowd or the wrong crowd? Do they have the spirit that works in the children of disobedience? The other thing we can learn from this passage is there is, and we're going to see that this morning, there is a spiritual warfare that is going on all around us. This is not just limited to one set of ideology against another set of ideologies here in this world. This is not just one culture against another culture. This is a spiritual battle that we are in. And by the way, it's a spiritual battle that America's in today. There's so many things I could say right now. I'll just tell you this, folks. Go ahead, you big cities. Get rid of your police departments and see what happens next. Just go ahead, try that for a day. By the way, the spirit of disobedience, disobedience means you don't want to obey any laws. means you don't want to obey any rules. I can tell you this. These big cities get rid of their police departments, and I'll tell you what, that will be the end of those cities and, and, and I'll tell you this, I'll make, another, I'll make another prophecy. That will not last long. That will not last long. But we live in this generation. You know what? We live in a generation that doesn't want anybody telling them what to do. Well, I'll tell you what, I've got a book that I'm going to preach that tells you what to do, how to live, how to think, how to talk, how to act, how to behave, what is right and what is wrong. And if you don't like it, Take it up with God Almighty, but we're in a spiritual battle. The devil's on one side. Jesus is on the other. Whose side are you on? Amen. Who do you line up with? Amen. It's a battle. You know, we want to pretend sometimes as believers that this book doesn't really mean anything as it applies to life. Well, I'm here to tell you it does mean something. I'm here to tell you there's two paths and you're on one or the other. And your path that you're on better line up with the Word of God or you're on the wrong path. You say, well, I don't agree with everything you say. I don't care if you agree with me, but when I preach the Word of God, you better decide, am I going to agree with the Word of God or not? We've all got your opinions, but when I'm preaching the Word, we need to listen to what the Word says. Now, the devil's cast out of heaven ages ago before the creation of the earth, I believe. And that's where he is still today. He's the prince of the power of the air. That's just step one in his demise. We're going to see the other steps here in a moment. Notice that he still has power. He's the prince of the power of the air. But here's a very important thing to understand. It is power. This power that the devil has is power that has been given to him, power that has been delegated by God. It's not his own power. It's power that has been handed to him, allowed by 
God. The word power in Ephesians 2.2 is translated from the Greek word exousia, which means power that has been granted, that as compared to absolute power. It's very different. Listen, the reason a police officer can pull you over when you are speeding is not because of some power that he has in and of himself. No, it's because the community has granted him that authority, that power. It's been given to him. And by the way, it can be taken away. And when a police officer makes bad choices and does wrong, then that authority should be taken away from that police officer, right? Can I tell you something? In Iowa, over the past decade, 15 years, we have had teachers in our public schools who have been accused and found guilty. And I'm not saying here in Burlington that I'm aware of, but I know in the state there's been several cases where teachers have been found to have molested children who were in their classroom, in the high school, whatever. But there have been cases of that in Iowa's public schools. Can I ask you a question? Why didn't we burn down the schools? Why didn't we get rid of the teachers? Why didn't we destroy our school system, torch our school system? I mean, that's horrible. A teacher molesting a child in school. Is that not horrible? Why have we not burned the schools down? Look, folks, let me tell you something. There are bad actors in every line of work. Whatever it is you do for a living, there are evil people in that line of work. And I'll point to my line of work as well. There have been people who have identified themselves as pastors who have done awful things as pastors. And you know what? When that happens, that person ought to be uh, accused as is appropriate, ought to uh, be found guilty if, that's, if they are, and they ought to be punished accordingly. But folks, you don't burn down all the churches because there's one bad pastor out there. You don't destroy. You don't say end of religion. You don't say end of preaching the gospel. You don't look. Folks, we live. I've, I've got news for you. We live in a fallen world. There's all kinds of evil in the world. That doesn't make it right, but you don't destroy everything just because of one person's misdeeds. But coming back here, this power that has been given to the devil is power that has been granted to him from God. Turn over to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Luke 4, verse 5, says, And the devil, taking him, that's Jesus. This is when Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. The devil, taking him, Jesus, up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power... By the way, the word power there comes from that same word, exosia, translated from that Greek word. All this power 
will I give thee and the glory of them. Notice this. For that is delivered unto me. See, he got it from somebody else. He said, look, I'm going to give you the power and the authority over these kingdoms that was given to me. And to whomsoever I will, I give it. Talking about this power. Jesus did not dispute Satan's claim. Why? Because God had granted Satan power over the kingdoms of the world. And that power continues to this day. Power to influence. Power to have authority. It had been delivered unto him from someone else, and that someone else could have been no, no one other than God. So it was God who granted him that authority. But Jesus at this time was not looking for power that was offered to him by Satan. Amen. He was not looking for power over the kingdoms of the world that was delegated to him from Satan who had received that power from God the Father. It was not the time for Christ to rule the kingdoms of the world. Now that time will come. It's coming. But can I tell you this? It's not going to be the delegated power. Skip down to Luke 4, verse number 14. Luke 4, verse number 14. I want you to see something here. Look, Luke 4, 14. And Jesus returned. This is after he'd spent 40 days in the wilderness. We just looked at one of the temptations. Jesus returned in the, notice this now, in the power of, of the Spirit. Do you see that there? That word power comes from a very different Greek word. That word power comes from the Greek word dynamis, from which we get our English word dynamite. It is a word that means absolute power. It's a word that means power that wasn't delegated, power that you just have. That is the power of the Spirit, capital S. That's the Holy Spirit of God. And there went out a fame of him through all the region around. The power of the Spirit, which is the same as the power of Christ and the power of God, is an absolute power. It is not a power that has been delegated. God has absolute power. You know what? The day that the Lord decides this is all, God decides this is all over, it's all over. He's not going to be checking with anybody. He's not going to be taking a vote. He's not going to be calling a polling agency to see if everybody wants it to end. No, when the day comes when God's going to destroy this world, it's going to be over at that moment. Absolute power. So in summary, when Satan was cast out of heaven to the air, God in his sovereignty granted him a measure of power over the kingdoms of the world, not absolute power, but a measure of power delegated to him. But it's also important to note that based on our story here in the book of Job, that during this time, the devil, which is interesting to me, but... We can see it here. The devil still has access to heaven. Now, he doesn't dwell in heaven. He's been cast out of heaven, but he's still allowed to come back in. 
We read that Job was able to present himself before the Lord. And where's the Lord? The Lord's in heaven. And we already said when God asked Satan where he'd come from, he said, I was down in the earth. I was on the earth. So he was not on the earth when he was having this conversation. No, he's come up to heaven. He's speaking to God in heaven. Uh, He's been cast out, but he's still permitted to visit. Now, follow me. That's the first step in Satan's demise. The second step in Satan's demise is the day when Satan will be cast out of the air to the earth. Turn over to Revelation chapter 12. We'll see this in our study of Revelation eventually, but turn to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12, verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. Say, who's the dragon? Well, we'll find that out in a minute. And the dragon fought and his angels. So Satan still has access to heaven. And this is actually a war that takes place in heaven between the devil and his angels and the angels of God. And prevailed not. Satan prevailed not. Neither, notice this, neither was there found, neither, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Notice, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out, notice this, into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So there's coming a day, hasn't come yet, when Satan is going to be cast. He's not gonna, his his uh, visitor pass is going to be taken away. There's going to be a battle in heaven. God's going to win because God has absolute power. But he's not going to take away all Satan's power yet. But Satan will no longer be allowed back into heaven. He's going to be relegated to the earth. And it is during this time that Satan is going to set up his kingdom on this earth during what we as believers know will be the seven-year tribulation period. Now, praise the Lord. Prior to this time, those who were saved, both living and dead, are going to be raptured up to heaven. We're not going to be here, but Satan's going to set up his kingdom on this earth, reigning from Jerusalem. Some will still be able to get saved, but the majority of those who are left on the earth will follow after Antichrist, except the mark of 666, and worship the beast and his image. And those who do get saved, the majority will have to die for their faith. And Satan, again, will lose his path to heaven, and an all-out war between God and Satan will ensue. So that's the second step. First, from heaven to the air. Secondly, from the air with still having access to heaven to the earth. Third, at the end of the tribulation period, there will be the battle of Armageddon when Christ returns to the earth to set up his kingdom for a thousand years on this earth. At that time, Satan will be bound in the bottomless pit for the duration of the millennium. 
Revelation 20, verse number 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven. Revelation 21, you're not far away from it if you want to look at it. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, notice this, and a great chain in his hand. And he lay hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and bound him a thousand years. It's right there in the Scripture. So he's going to take the old devil. When Christ is reigning on the earth, the devil is going to be chained up, I believe, in the bottomless pit. But he's going to be chained up. He's not going to be able to go anywhere. At that point, his power is going to be removed. Now we're going to see it come back, but his power is going to be removed. Christ is going to reign on the earth. We as believers are going to come back with him and we'll rule and reign with him on this earth. But then there's one more step for Satan. At the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth, he's going to be loosed for a season, the Bible says, during which he will engage God in another battle. One thing you have to say about Satan, he does persevere. Would to God we would persevere as much for the Lord as the devil perseveres against the Lord. Amen. But when he loses at the battle of Gog and Magog, he will be cast once and for all into the lake of fire. Look at Revelation 20, verse number 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Notice this. And shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's the end of it for the devil. From Heaven to the air, from the air to the earth, from the earth to the bottomless pit, back out of the bottomless pit temporarily, loses the battle of Gog Magog, thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity. Now here's my main point this morning. Satan's primary concern is not us. His primary concern is doing anything and everything within his power to defeat God. We are just pawns that he uses if he is able in his battle against God. You know why he wants to destroy life? Because he wants to destroy God. Do you know why he wants a woman to kill a baby in her womb before it's been born? Because that baby is made and created in the image of God and the devil hates God and he wants to attack God by having that mother kill that baby in her womb. Anything he can do. You know why he wants you as a teenager to be rebellious, to go out, to sell your purity for literally nothing, to live in immorality and to live in all the mess that's in the world today because the devil wants you're, you're made in God's image and God wants to destroy you because he hates God. Or devil wants to destroy you because he hates God. He's not, he's not as interested in us. You know, he's just, he's just looking to see if he can use us. Say, well, I don't like to be used. Well, let me tell you something. If you're following the devil's path, you are being used. And by the way, when he's done with you, he'll spit you out. 
God's primary concern, on the other hand, is twofold, saving us and defeating the devil. In regards to the first concern of saving us, God has provided us a way of salvation at great price by sending His Son and Jesus by coming to die on the cross to pay for our sins. That's how much He loved us. To save us from what the devil wants to do to us, which is to condemn us to an eternity in hell. And if you're here this morning, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. Or if you're watching this morning on Facebook Live and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, the most important thing you can do is to realize you're a sinner in need of a Savior and put your faith 100% in Jesus Christ alone. Not in the church, not in the baptistry, not in communion, not in good works. In Jesus alone. He's the Savior. He does all the saving all by himself. Number one, God's provided us a way of salvation. That's one of his concerns. And his second concern is to defeat the devil. In regards to defeating the devil, God wants to continually remind the devil that his power is superior to Satan's power and that his children are superior to the devil's children. It's an interesting thing. God gives a lot of attention to the devil. I mean, right here. Think about this story, going back to our story in Job. The Bible says that the sons of God, by the way, that's a small s on sons of God. It's not talking about Jesus. Had come to present themselves before the Lord. Now you say, Pastor, who are the sons of God? Well, I believe that the sons of God, as it's used here, refers likely to the good angels that were still serving God and who God had given authority to had come together, they had positions of authority, possibly those who were contemporaries of Satan, they have a meeting. I don't know, maybe it's a meeting they have every so often. God says, hey, come in here, we got to talk about things and what we're going to be doing. God's an organized God. He's got his angels. They're doing his work. But they have this meeting. We know they do because Job tells us about it. Maybe it was a regular meeting that Satan had attended before he was lifted up in pride and cast out of heaven to the air. God says, well, you're not up here anymore, but still have access. We'll still let you come in once in a while. Well, here he comes. But in any event, the thing that is of particular interest is that out of all those who were present, God addresses Satan. God pays attention to Satan. He speaks to Satan. Look at it again in Job 1, verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? See, God wanted to make a point to Satan that Job was a man who was rejecting all of Satan's attempts to deceive mankind. He said, hey, Satan, I know what you're trying to do down there. Hey, let me tell you something. You're not being as successful as you think you are. Have you seen my servant, Job? That's what he's doing. He's calling out Job. By the way, let me ask this question. If this same meeting took place today, would God be able to call out your name? Would God be able to call out my name? 
God help us is right. He wanted to make the point, God did, that despite Satan's best attempts, some men were still faithfully following after God. And what is Satan's response? He's quick to reply and accuse Job. And by the way, that's what his name means. He's the accuser. And he's a false accuser. But he's accusing Job of being an imposter. Look in verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for naught? He said, you know what? I, don't, don't tell me about Job. He's, I'll tell you why he fears you, why he's obeying you. Look what he says. Verse 10, Hast thou not made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? And thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land? Now pause there for just a moment. Despite the fact that Satan is the prince and the power of the air, the absolute power of God, as we see in Job's case, overrules the power of Satan, even on the earth. You say, what do you mean? uh, Satan said, I can't touch him. You've got a hedge built around him. You're blessing him. You're rewarding him. I, you've given me power, but I cannot touch him. Boy, folks, you know what we ought to be praying for every day? Lord, put a hedge around my house. Lord, put a hedge around my children. Lord, put a hedge. Protect us from the wiles of the devil. You say, well, the devil has power. Yes, he does, but, he can, but God's power overrules the devil's power. Why? Because the devil's power is power was given to him. God's power is absolute power. Yes, we live in a sin-cursed world under the grip of the delegated power of Satan, but as the children of God, we have access to protection, provision, and guidance granted by the absolute power of God. We have access to it. By the way, we can lose that access if we as believers live in disobedience to God. But because Job was faithfully living for the Lord, Job and his household were protected, they were blessed, his material substance increased, and Satan could not touch Job without God's permission. And again, I don't know about you, but that's how I want to live my life in this world. Amen. Amen. Look at verse 11 where Satan continues. He says, but put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, behold, all that he hath, notice this now, is in thy what? Power. There's that word again. Only himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And by the way, where did that power come from that Satan had? It was given to him from God right then and there on that spot. God said, look, I'm going to give you, I'm going to grant you some power even in Job's case. God delegated power over Job's life to take everything except his life. He delegated that to Satan. Now, why did God do that? To prove to Satan that Job's love for him was real. See, the battle's between God and Satan, folks. It's between God and Satan. 
We're in the middle. But here's the point this morning, and we'll finish up. Unseen to the human eye, there is an ongoing spiritual warfare being waged between God and Satan. And thank God that his power is superior to Satan's power. Thank God that in the end, Satan ends up defeated in the lake of fire for all eternity. But if and when God chooses to delegate power to Satan to prove the sincerity of our faith, let's not let God down. Let's not let God down. When the, you say, what are you talking about? When the temptations come. When the trials come. When the illnesses come. When the disappointments come. When the tragedies come. I just don't understand how God could allow this. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's a sin-cursed world. Blame that on the devil. He's the one who messed it up. You know what my obligation is? Keep my eyes on the Lord. Regardless of what happens to me. Folks, say, oh, Pastor, I don't understand this trial. Maybe, maybe God said, look, there's a faithful servant. And the old devil said, yeah, you take away the blessing and see what happens. And God said, all right, I'll give you a little more power. Take away some of their blessings. See what happens. Take away their health. See what happens. Allow a tragedy to take place in their life. See what happens. What's happening? What's happening in your temptation, in your trial, in your trouble? Hey, folks, can I tell you something? This life is not heaven. Well, I just thought if I did right, that everything would go right. And for a while it did. You know what? Thank God for that, for that little while. Amen. As I've said before, if you are so fortunate as to get a day in your life when, or a, a day or some days when everything goes right, I mean everything works out your way. What you need for that is you'll need one pencil in life. It only needs to be about three inches long. You only need to sharpen it once and put a mark on the calendar every day that happens. And when you die, your pencil will probably still be sharp. Amen. You're not going to burn through a lot of pencils marking those days where everything is just perfect. But folks, can I tell you something? When we get to heaven someday, you're going to need a truckload of pencils to mark those days down. You're going to burn through them one right after the other. But this is not heaven. This is earth, and we are in the midst of a battle between Satan and God. And Satan wants to use you, and he wants to use me in his effort to defeat God. Now, he's not going to win when it comes to God, but you know what? If we let him, he can win when it comes to us. He may not be able to take our soul, but he can rob us of our testimony. He can rob us of our faith. He can rob us of our joy. When the troubles come, it means one of two things in the life of believer. One, that God is trying to get our attention so that like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, we'll repent of our sin and return to him. Sin will cause God to take down the hedge. 
Young people say, well, I just want to do my own thing. I just want to go out there. I want to have fun like everybody else. God will say, fine, you go do that. And when you get through with that and your life is in total chaos and a wreck, then hopefully you'll come back. But you'll have to carry that baggage of those bad decisions all the rest of your life. Secondly, when the troubles come, it could mean that God has chosen us to prove that Satan's accusations against us are false. Now, folks, you study. We, we aren't doing it this morning. We're out of time. But you study Job's life, and I'll tell you what, that, it was not a simple trial. This was not, no, you can allow the stock market to crash. And Job is going to lose a few million dollars. No, it's not nothing like that. Job lost everything. Including his health. Including his ten children. He lost it all. And the question is this. Two questions. If the issue is sin in our lives, are we willing to repent? If the issue is a challenge to the sincerity of our commitment... To the Lord, are we willing to stay faithful? Folks, can I tell you something? There's a lot of things in life I don't understand. The older I get, the less I know. Amen? I don't understand. So why, why did this happen? Why that? Why this problem? Why this trouble? Why this trial? Why this tragedy? I'll tell you what. I don't know this, but I, I don't know that, but I know this. God is faithful. He has not abandoned you. He has not abandoned me. But he may be in a contest with the devil saying, hey, you go ahead. I'm going to give you a little bit of power over their life. And we'll see who's right on how strong their faith is. And I'll tell you what, the devil's playing for keeps. The good news, and I'm going to talk about this a little more tonight, God's power is greater than the devil's power. What is, was Job's response? I'll give you just one of his two responses. After he lost his wealth, his ten children, this was before he lost his health. Job 121, he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Then I like verse 22. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. You know what? Kept his lips right. Kept his mouth, what he was saying right. You know what that tells me? What we say is very important to God. How we speak, the words that come out of our mouth. But Job kept his heart right. He was being unmercifully tormented. But he kept his heart right. Job took the challenge. Remember, take the challenge camp. Job took the challenge, and he won. Now, God had to deal with him. In the middle of the challenge, he had some issues. I think if I'd gone through what Job went through, I'd have probably, I, I don't know. I'm not going to stand here and tell you I would have done anywhere near as well as Job had done or even made it through. 
But in the end, he won. He kept his heart right. And if God chose you as he did Job to make a point to the devil, who would win? Except heads bowed, eyes closed.